Pastor Paul Boyer and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this lesson from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from the Scriptures will equip and motivate you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor Paul as we study the Word together. So working through working through the D six, you guys last week did you talk about did you talk about the temple and, and first kings and, and all of that and talk about the completing the temple? Didn't talk about that last week. I don't know what Pastor John preached on. I was in Springfield. So I preached on it last week. It was really good. Uh, wait for the video. Okay. So this week we're talking about seeking God's presence. So the goal this week is to link the celebration of the completion of the temple with God's abiding presence and the purposes in my life. That's what we're looking for this week. That's the goal of what we're to get from the study this week is how to link the celebration of the temple, the completion of the temple, and God's presence and his presence in my life and his purposes for me. That's where we're going with this. So there's several points, they call them fusion facts, that we want to touch on this week. One is when you seek God, he wants to be found. And that's in 2 Corinthians 15. The other is direction, security, and joy are found in God's presence. That's from Psalms 7 and 11, through 11. Because we are bought for a price, with a price, we are showpieces of grace. That's in 1 Corinthians 6. Because we were bought with a price, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Next is love motivates obedience, and that's in John 14. And God is at work on behalf of all those who wait on him, and that's in Isaiah. So all of those scripture that I just read are right here in your, right here in your handout. Okay. Also, I have fill in the blanks at the bottom. And I will be stressing, I, I understand last time I preached, I forgot to stress that, okay, here's your fill in the blank, here's what goes in the blank, and people were confused and they were, didn't know how to fill in the blanks. So I apologize for that. I'm going to try to be more careful this time and say, listen, this is number three, got it? It's going to be on the test. And you think I'm kidding. There is a, there is a test. Okay. So seeking God's presence is our theme. We're going to talk about what it means to seek God's presence. We're going to talk about what God's presence is and how we relate to it. We're going to talk about God and his essence. But before we do that, let's talk to God. Lord, we thank you for the day that you've given us and the time that you've given us to gather together in your name and this sanctuary that was built for your purpose and for your glory. Lord, we thank you for all that are here this morning all those that have come out to hear your word spoken and to sing praises to you and to commune, commune with, with fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you for moving in their hearts and giving them a life that reflects the glory of God. We ask that you be with us this morning, that you move through this congregation, that, you, that your presence be with us. Lord, I ask that your presence be with me, that these words are not my words but yours that you've led me down the path that you would have me go. Lord, I ask that you bless all that's done here this morning because we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 
So what does it mean to seek the presence of God? Well, the word that's translated in English as presence in Hebrew literally means face. It means face. So what we're doing in, in, in their mind, in the, in the author's mind, is we're seeking the face of God. We're seeking the very face of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me explain it this way. I love my wife's face. The first thing I want to see when I get home from a hard day is her smile. I want her to look at me. I want her to listen to me. I want her to pay attention to me. I know she is with me when I can see her face. We want to see God's face. We want to see God smile back at us. We want to know that when we're in the, that we're in the presence of God because he's listening to us and he's looking at us and he's paying attention to us. He's smiling on us. We want to see that. The same as I want to see that in my wife, I want to see that from God. Because if I can see God's face, that means that God is focused on me. That I have his attention. That my, my petitions are not going unheard. That my pain is not unnoticed. That my praises are being heard. I tell my wife I love her a lot. And when I do that, she looks at me. I see her face. I want to see the face of my kids. When my kids come over, my, my whole family gets together every Sunday evening for dinner. When they come through the door, I want my kids to smile at me. I want my kids to look at me. I want to share that connection with them. I want to be in the presence of them. I want to know that we are communing with each other because I can see their face. I want that with my grandchildren. There's nothing, nothing more joyful than coming home from a hard day of work and Lauren comes running out with big blue eyes and blonde hair trailing behind her with a mean look on her face because she probably just did something she shouldn't have. She's saying, Papa, Papa, and she jumps into my arms. I see her face. I'm connected with her. I hold her little beating heart up next to mine. That's what God wants from us. We're Lauren to God. We're his children. He wants to see our face. He wants to see the smile on our face when we say, Papa. And we run and jump into his arms. That's what seeking the presence of God means. That's what it means. The people who built Solomon's temple wanted to see God's face. They wanted God in their presence. They wanted a dwelling place for the Most High God so that they could go and commune with Him. They could worship Him. They could sacrifice to Him. They could take their prayers. They could take their petitions. They could take their joys and their pains to a loving God. They wanted to see His face. So they built a temple. They built a, a place, a dwelling for God so they knew they could see His face. Of course, that's an anthropomorphism. Okay, everybody know what that means? I don't either. No. That's a big theological word. Or that's a big, big word. It makes me sound smart. And basically it means giving human attributes to a non-human thing. Okay? 
So when scriptures talk about the, the rocks were crying out and that the mountains, the, the mountains clapped, well, the mountains didn't literally grow hands and, and clap, right? But that's assigning a human trait to a non-human thing. So at the time of the temple, God didn't have a face. You know, God is spirit. So they weren't literally looking like I am looking at the face of my wife or the face of my children or the face of my grandchildren, the face of my friends, all of you. They weren't literally looking to look into God's eyes. It's a metaphor. They wanted to feel that presence. They wanted to commune with God on that level. So they built a temple for God. What was meant by seeking God's face was seeking his smile, his attention, his favor. They wanted to be close to God. They wanted him to listen to them and spend time with them. And this is illustrated in Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 26. This is the priestly blessing. Listen to what he says. The Lord spoke to Moses. Tell Aaron and his sons how you are to bless the Israelites. Listen. Say to them, May Yahweh bless you and protect you. May Yahweh make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh look with favor on you and give you peace. That's what I want. I want Yahweh to bless me and protect me. I want him to shine his face on me and to be gracious to me. I want him to look with favor on me and I want his peace. I can't imagine a better blessing. Of course, it came from God, so it's therefore perfect. But I can't imagine a better blessing. That ought to be the blessing that we have on our hearts for each other, for our families, for everybody we know. That we want God to protect them. That we want Yahweh to make His face shine on them. I could ask for If you want to bless me, use this one, okay? Feel free. Go ahead now. Right, right. No, it's kidding. In 1 Kings chapter 8, it describes the scene of Solomon's temple and, and, and how it was finally complete after all that had gone into building the temple. King David had the idea of building a temple for God, but God says, no, no, you're a man of blood, David. You're not going to be the one that builds my temple, but your son Solomon will build a temple in my name. So Solomon built a temple. And when it was complete, it was time for the people to settle in and worship their God. It was time after all of these generations for God to have a home. Imagine that. Can you imagine building a house for God? How big do you make the rooms? How many bathrooms do you need? I I don't know. The master bedroom. I mean, how big does it need to be? Because it's going to house, well, like God. Can you imagine what it must have been like to build a house for God? Now, if I decided I wanted to build a house for God, it would be nothing but pride and hubris and God wouldn't honor it. But God put it in their hearts to build him a house. And he gave them the plans. He gave them the dimensions. He told them what furniture to put in it. Right? So they built a house for God. And God honored their work, and he moved in. He moved in. His presence filled the temple. Can you imagine what that must have been like? 
The best description I've found is in Isaiah chapter 6. And when I, where Isaiah describes his experience in the presence of God. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year King Uzziah died, Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple. And seraphim were standing above them. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah went on to say, Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I am in the presence of the Most High God. I have seen his face. And he trembled in fear. The glory of God was so mighty that Isaiah was afraid to look at it. All through the Old Testament, there are references to people seeking, literally seeking to see God and the ramifications of that. No one is allowed to see God and live. Isaiah, in a dream, did. The glory of God is so glorious, we can't look upon it. The foundations of the doorway shook the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. God is so glorious that even the seraphim, the, these these heavenly spiritual beings can't look at him. They shielded their eyes from his glory. Now remember the story of Moses had been on the mountain and he, was, and he was communing with God and he came from the mountain and the Israelites couldn't look on his face because of the reflected glory of God. They, he had to wear a veil because they were afraid. Isaiah was afraid and a seraphim picked up a coal from the altar and, and, and brought it and touched it to his lips and says, You've been, your lips have been healed, your sins have been forgiven. Can you imagine that? Just picture this in your mind, what this must have been like. So the Ark of the Covenant, which had been in a tent, was now being brought to the temple and it was placed in the Holy of Holies and a curtain was drawn across the entrance and no one was allowed in the presence of God, except for one time a year when the high priest could go in and offer sacrifices in the Holy of Holies. God had moved in. Then, in that time and in that place, God was in a building. If you wanted to seek the presence of God, you need only go there. You could offer your sacrifice and you could feel the glory of God radiating from God himself. If that were today, you, you could... Put God in your Jeep, God near me in your in your Google search, and my GPS would take me to God. Let's try it. God near me. That no, doesn't work. My Garmin would have worked back then. It would have taken me to Jerusalem, to the corner of Holy and Holy, and there's the temple. That would have been great, wouldn't it? If you wanted to see God, if you wanted to feel His glory, if you wanted to know where God was. You had a latitude and a longitude. You had a street address. I'm just wondering how they delivered the mail. Did UPS go that far? I don't know. But there, God was in the building. He was in a physical location. Everybody knew where God was. You want to know where God was? He's in Jerusalem up that big hill. 
Yeah, up there, big temple, that's, that's where God's at. Sadly, it doesn't work that way now because God has left the building. That temple and two more were destroyed. God no longer lives in a temple. Or does he? What does it mean to seek the face of God now in the 21st century? We don't look for God in a building anymore, do we? Yeah, we have buildings dedicated to God like this one. And God dwells here, in a sense, and we'll talk about that. But this is not the temple. We're not building four walls to contain the glory of God. It's no longer done that way. For more than 2,000 years, there's been no temple, the place where God dwells, because it's no longer needed. In AD 70, the last temple was destroyed by the Romans, and not a stone was left on another. This was possible only because the glory of God had left that building. But that's another sermon for another time. So where did God go? Where is his dwelling now? Not a building made of stone. Ready? This is your fill-in. Here it comes. Not a building made of stone, but in a heart that was previously made of stone and is now made of flesh. Got it? A heart that was previously made of stone. Not a building made of stone anymore. But in a heart that was previously made of stone and is now made of flesh. Where does God live now? Anybody know? Anybody want to guess? Right there. Christian, you are the temple of the living God. You are the temple. The holy dwelling place of a holy God is you. It's not a building anymore. It's not an address. It's you. It's in the heart of the believer. It's each and every one of us that have given ourselves to God through our devotion to his son. We now are the dwelling place of God. You want to know where God lives? Right here. And right there, and right there, and right there. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You're the temple. You're the temple. You want to know where God is? He's right here. Do we ever have to worry about then not being in the presence of God? Because God dwells in us? I think we still do. Because even though God dwells in me, I sometimes am not seeking his face. I am sometimes looking the wrong direction. 
I am not thinking of the things of God and the things of heaven. I'm thinking of the things of earth. I'm thinking of the things that please me, not what pleases God. I'm sometimes not obedient, as I should be. 2 Timothy 1.14 says, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. When God is not close, whose fault is that? I sometimes, it sometimes feel like I am with the Lord and His face is shining on me. Sometimes I feel like I'm all alone. I'm an empty vessel. Where is God? Who moved? What changed? Well, it isn't God. God didn't move. God didn't change. So if I'm not in the face of God, if I'm not seeing the face of God, if I'm not in his presence, that's because I have left the building. My heart and my mind are not concentrated on the things of God. They're concentrated on the things of the world. To seek the presence of God, all I have to do is ask and look for him. That's it. He's always there. So when I am alone and I am that empty vessel... It's not God. It's me. Okay, here's your next fill-in. Ready? Scriptures exhort us to seek the face of God continually. Continually. It's not a one-time thing, Christians. It's not going going to Camp Hope when you were a teenager and coming up before the altar and accepting the Lord as your Savior and then go about your life. That doesn't work. It's not about coming to church on a Sunday morning and hearing a glorious proclamation of the gospel coming from this pulpit and it affecting your heart through the working of the Holy Spirit and moves you to call on God and accept Him as your Savior. That's just the beginning. That's where it starts. That's not where it stops. Seeking God's presence now means... Living a lifestyle that's pleasing to God. It's a continual act of obedience and love. A constant seeking after God's will and his plan and his blessing. Yes, we've got blessed assurance if we're saved. But do we have the face of God? Only if we seek it. Only if we live in such a way that the things of God are more important than the things of us. Things of God are more important than the things of the world. We're in church on Sunday morning. We're in church or bring uh, Awanas on Wednesday night. Things that we do, earning points with God, no. You're not saved by your works. You're saved by grace. You're saved by unmerited favor. But you still must seek the face of God. You must be in obedience. You must make a quest for God's face, part of who you are. Scripture tells us to pray without ceasing. Can you imagine that? What does that mean, to pray without ceasing? Now, some people have taken that to the extreme, and they moved to the monastery, and they put themselves in their cell, and all they do is pray. They're so heavenly bound, they're no earthly good. That's not what that means. 
What that means is keeping open communication with God, that you're seeking God's will in everything you do, where you work, where, what you say, how you commune with people, how you treat people. You should be in, in the back of your mind, what would God do? What would God have me say here? Seek the presence of God. I'm in the situation. God, what should I do? I just said something to a coworker that now that I think about it, it's probably not God honoring. What should I do? Should I go talk to that coworker and explain what I meant to say and apologize? I had some missionaries come to my door the other day, and I'm, I'm confessing here. Confession is good for the soul. I had some missionaries come to the door the other day, and they were Southern Baptist. All right. We're good. Southern Baptist. We're coming around. That they're, they're, they're actually starting a new church in the, in the uh, Civic Center in Muscuda. And they're going to meet in the gym. So I launched into telling them the whole story about us meeting in gyms for all those years and all this stuff. Laid out this whole thing, and they're standing there smiling and nodding. What I should have done is listen to their story. I should have said, oh, well, I've got some experience with that. I'll pray for you. Go ahead and tell me about your ministry. Tell me about your missionaries from Tennessee. What are you doing in Illinois? How can I help you? After they left, I said, oh, I made it all about me. It should have been about them. They're the ones that are out working. I was, I was painting something. I, I mean, I, I wasn't doing anything for God. They were out doing God's work, and I turned the conversation around to me. I missed the chance to minister to them. So I had to repent from that. I had to ask God to forgive me. And if I ever get a chance, I'll ask them to forgive me. Praying continually, thinking about God in everything you do. You're at work and your coworkers are telling an off-color joke. Do you get join in or not? Thinking that way. Thinking that way. I work with a, a woman who's from India and she's Hindu. And and this this is not bragging. It's just a this is just a an example. Um, she's Hindu. So one of the other young women is the expert on a certain thing. And I said, oh, you're the guru on that. And then I, oh, why did I say that? Because Anal literally has gurus. And did I just offend her by calling somebody a guru on meaning you're the expert? So after that meeting, I went to her desk and I said, I'm sorry. She said, for what? Well, you know, I said that so-and-so was a guru. I, I, I didn't think about how you would feel about that. She said, don't worry about it. I know what that means. I know what you meant. You weren't disparaging my religion. But it just struck me right at that moment that that probably wasn't God honoring. So I went and apologized to her. So that worked okay. I mean, that, was, that wasn't a big deal and everything was fine. I stuck my foot in my mouth a little bit, just the toe. Other times I swallow my leg up to the up to the hip. And we all do that. But just as an example, we should be constantly in our daily lives, what would God do? What would Jesus do? How should I feel about this? Right? Am I setting the best example? We didn't buy tickets for the homecoming one year because you had to go to the liquor store up here in the corner to buy the tickets. And I wasn't going in the liquor store just in case somebody see me coming out of the liquor store. Right? Thinking that way. Keeping in mind, how does this look? 
How will this sound? What will the interpretation be? What will people hearing me say that, what will they think of God? Because I am representing God. That's what it means. So we're to seek his face continually. It's a lifestyle. We have to make a quest for God's face part of who we are. And guess what? God loves those who seek him. In Colossians 3, it says, If then we have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. It's a choice. Here's your next fill-in. Ready? You must choose to seek God. God doesn't come and knock down your, the door of your life and force his way in and say, you have no choice but to see my glory. He knocks gently, and you have a choice. God gives us the ability to love him and to seek him and live in the light of his glory. We can also shun him. We can ignore him. We can live as we see fit. We can turn our backs on God if we choose. We have free will. That's our choice. Remember, God speaks in a small, still small voice. Easy to miss if you're not paying attention. But the world shouts when God whispers. The question is, to whom do you listen? Choose God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's your fourth fill-in, Holy Spirit. And the sacrifice, which is your fifth fill-in, of the Son of God, the God-man. Guess what? The God that literally had a face. Jesus literally has a face because Jesus has a body. He has a resurrected, glorious body, but he has a body. So if we're seeking the face of God now, we have a face. It's no longer a metaphor. We have a man, God, that we, that we strive for. We can seek God, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit and the sacrifice of the Son of God. Only through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ do we, his children, have the power to enter into the glory of God unafraid. But it's an awesome wonder. Because Jesus died to give you the right. to remove. He died to remove the stain of sin that kept you far from God. To seek God now in the 21st century requires that you accept the gift. Accept the sacrifice. Place your trust in the cross. There's no other way. You must accept the gift, the sacrifice that God made on our behalf. He gave his only begotten son so that we could seek his face, so that we could see him face to face. Do that and God will dwell in the temple of where? Temple of your heart. You must choose to, to seek the things of God. So what does it mean to seek the presence of God? It means 
One, accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and following through in obedience. Two, keeping our mind and our hearts tuned to God and seeking His glory and seeking His grace and seeking His face. We're to love God with all our soul and all our strength. And because we love God and God loves us, we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are literally children of God. And I can't think of a better way to explain what that must be like than to think about how I feel about my children and how I feel about my grandchildren when I see their face. God is standing there, open arms, waiting for us to run and call him Papa and jump into his arms. He's waiting. The question is, are you waiting? If you don't have that relationship with God, if you're not a son or daughter of the living God, what are you waiting for? You want to seek the presence of God? There he is. He's at the foot of the cross. He's in that blood that tripped on that ground on the day in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. He's in the hearts of all of us here that have accepted him. That's the presence of God. His face is shining on us right now if we're worshiping and praising him. That's what it means to seek the presence of God. So my question to you is, are you seeking One, have you accepted the Son? And two, are you seeking the Father? That's where the presence of God is. In Matthew 7, it says, Keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. For anyone who asks receives and the one who searches finds. And to those who, one who knocks, the door will be opened. Do that in God's face will shine on you. Let's pray. Lord, we're humbled. You have given us the opportunity to see your face. You have given us the ability to boldly approach you, lay our petitions at your feet, bring our hurts and our worries and our distress to you given us the right as sons and daughters and co-heirs with Christ to boldly approach the throne of God and to seek your presence. Lord, we know that you've done this through the sacrifice. We know that the ability to approach you is only a glory applied to us but not from us. Lord, we thank you so much for what you've done that you brought Jesus to us. And you allowed him to be killed on that Judean hillside to purchase our redemption, to purchase our cleaning. It's the blood of Christ that cleans us from all sin and makes us clean in the eyes of God. Lord, I ask that you move through this congregation today that if there's any that have not accepted Christ, that you move in their hearts. If there's any that are far away from you, that 
that are not seeking your presence, that you move today in their hearts. And you bring them to the throne of God. You give them the redemption that was bought and paid for by your son. Lord, if there's any here that have maybe accepted Christ many years ago, but they're not seeking your presence any longer, to move in their heart, tear down those stone walls, remind them who they are, bring them back to you, bring them back to seeking your presence, bring them back to seeking your face. Lord, we're, we're all humble servants here. We're in awe of the glory. The glory that you bring. We ask, Lord, that you give us the grace and the peace and the wisdom to go forward and spread your word and be, be ambassadors for the faith. Reach those that need to find you. Lord, work it, or work it so that our paths cross those that need to hear the word spoken. As we come from this place this week, Lord, we ask that you use us in your field, in the mission field that's outside these walls. We're all missionaries. We're all on our way home. Lord, we ask that you give us the peace and glory and grace that we need to glorify you. Be with us and guide us and shape our destinies. Give us peace. Lord, let your face shine on all of us. Well, thank you for joining us for this lesson from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360 or you can email us at victoryfwb at gmail.com. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email, call, or send a request to 223 Scott Troy Road, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.